Well, I cannot think of a better way to head into a new year than to talk to you about my all-time favorite book. If you know me well, you know that I love to read books. If you've ever made it back to my office for any reason, you know I have almost 3,000 books now on those bookshelves. I love books because books have changed my life. In reading, you're introduced to people and places and things and thinking that you could never get to in your own lifetime simply by being there or knowing that person. And when you read, it opens up a whole world. But I'm telling you, hands down, there are other books perhaps that I've read two and three times, like Trusting God Even When Life Hurts by Jerry Bridges. There's some books that I've read multiple times because of the impact of them on my life, but none of them hold a candle to this book right here, the Bible. I've been reading this book for over 30 years now. In fact, I've been reading this very Bible for over 30 years now. It's been rebound three times. And I've read from start to finish the Bible more than 10 times now. And there's nothing else that has had the cumulative ongoing. Notice notice how I'm saying that. It's not like this changed me. This is changing me. It just keeps on changing me. It's that kind of book that it just continues to change me and renew me and give me better insights and new ways of thinking and new ways of living and new ways of responding. In fact, here's what might surprise you. You, We live in a day that seems so secular and so godless and so the Bible is the number one bestseller every year, hands down. Total sales of Bible in North America alone is a half billion dollars. Half billion dollars. The average American household has 3.2 Bibles somewhere in it. 27% of Americans have at least five Bibles. And while that's all very encouraging, number one bestseller every year, tons of people have it in their house, that is not the most important issue. I have a more important question. How many of those Bibles, after they are purchased and taken home, are being read? Someone say, ow. 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 Just owning one doesn't change your life. Just leaving it on the coffee table, laying it on the dresser, having it on the bookshelf does not change your life. you got to read it. That's why Paul said to young Timothy, who was pastoring the first church in Ephesus, in his first letter, in 1 Timothy 4.13, he said, Give attention, give attention, Timothy, to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. In his second letter to Timothy, he said in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. For this book to make a difference in your life, you can't just own one. you got to read it and handle it. you got to get a hold of it and read it and handle it and get it into your life. And so here's what I want to do for you today, I hope. In the time that we have, I would love to share with you the best ways to read your Bible to get the most out of it. So if you're here and you're thinking, it's a new year, I admit, I've kind of fallen out of the boat, I'm not reading my Bible like I ought to, or maybe you're here and you're saying, I've never really read it, but I'd like to. I would like to share with you the best. So it doesn't matter if you've been reading your Bible for years now, I hope I can help you, or if you're new to this, I certainly hope I can help you. I want to share with you best ways to read your Bible to get the most out of it. Number one. Number one, if you want to get the most out of your Bible, pick a time to read your Bible and then just tenaciously stick with it and be consistent. Pick a time to read your Bible. You are more likely to consistently read your Bible if you will have a time. Here's what happens. We say, yeah, I'm going to read my Bible this year. Probably going to read it in the morning. In the morning you feel real tired, so you just hit the alarm clock, you keep sleeping. You say, "Ah, I'm going to catch it at lunchtime. At work, i got a little New Testament at my desk at work. I'm going to read it at lunchtime. At lunchtime, the deadline is pressing. Two things went wrong on the project. You've got to work through lunch. I'm going to read it tonight. Tonight, when you get home, if you're married, your wife says, Ah, so-and-so has a project tomorrow for school. They need orange poster board and some sparkles. Can you go to you know, Walmart? And before you know it, that day is shot, and it didn't happen, and you start all over and say, well, I'm going to read it tomorrow morning, but tomorrow morning, you think, I think I'm getting a sign inspection, or I stayed up late and watched the Bengals-Steeler game that didn't start till 8.30, and it didn't end until like 11.30, and so I'm so tired, it's not going to be morning today, but I'll do it at lunchtime, but at lunchtime, a friend stops by your desk and starts to talk to you, so it's not lunch, and you go home that night, and you think it's going to be night, but so-and-so has a soccer thing and a gymnastic thing, and you're, 
You might know what I'm talking about. Pick a time and tenaciously stick with it. And there is no verse in the Bible that says it has to be morning. So I don't care when you do it, but I do have a preference. Let me suggest morning. You say, oh, you're a morning person. Not. So not. You say, why do you make it morning? Let me tell you why I make it morning. I would like to have God's word and his truth actually reorient me and realign my thinking before I head into my day and face what I'm going to face and the people I'm going to face and the things that are going to happen that I don't know about, but God knows about it. I don't know about you, but it only takes me like 24 hours, one day of living in this world with my own sinful self and sinners around me and circumstances to get out of alignment. I am not, this may shock some of you, hope not, when I wake up, my first thoughts aren't happy thoughts. Oh, it's a new day. I get to live for Jesus. My first thoughts are horrible. Horrible. Fearful. I'm not kidding. Horrible. Fearful. Anxious. Dark. You're saying, Brad, the pastor? Yes. Sovereignty of God? Yes. All I need is just about 12 hours away from this to be completely, in many ways, emotionally godless. And i got to be brought back. i got to be brought back. My first thoughts are usually, oh, that meeting, that person, that thing, what might happen, what could happen, what is happening, what isn't the way I wish it was, what, what, what. Those are my first thoughts. When I come back to God's word, I'm reminded again, oh, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute, time out, wait a minute. Here's who God is, here's what he says, here's some of his promises, here's an example of somebody else that felt this way. God's word reorients me and realigns me. Does that make sense? So I would like that alignment to take place in the morning before I go into my day. And that's my reason as a pastor why, and if you've been here a while then you know this, I don't do morning meetings. I don't do breakfast with you. I'm not going to meet you at, at the kettle or wherever or Cracker Barrel at 6.30. I have to meet with God. You don't want me before I've met with God. I'll just kind of spread dark thoughts and gloom and doom all over you. I need to meet with God, hear from God, be reminded of God before I meet with you. So I'll have anything to offer you. Because really this is all about one beggar just sharing with another beggar where they found hope again. I have to find hope again every single morning. And I don't think it's just me. I prefer and would suggest to you the morning. But is that easy? Am I a morning person? No. So this is a fight. This is a fight. So I've chosen morning, but it's a fight. And let me, let me tell you this. If you're going to read your Bible in the morning, your commitment to do that begins the night before. You say, what are you talking about, Brad? Here's what I'm talking about. You got to drag your little self to bed sooner than you actually want to go. Right? I'm a big boy. I'm 51. No one's putting me in bed. No one's telling me I have to go to bed. Didn't you hate that as a kid? Get, get your footy pajamas on, brush your teeth and go to bed. Oh, I'm not tired. I'm not tired. I'm not tired at the time that I need to go to bed to get up in the morning. But if I don't, the next morning, oh my goodness. All right? So I'm sitting in my chair. I'm catching up on emails. I'm checking, catching up on blogs. I'm surfing, reading some good articles from Gospel Coalition or Justin Taylor or whoever. Or I'm reading a good book. And I got to look at my watch and say, ah, ah. And this is going to shock some of you. It's 9.30. You're like, I'm just getting going at 9.30. I'm shutting it down around 9.30. I'm not saying you have to do 9.30, but I used to remember when my dad, you go to bed at like 9.15, I think, what is wrong with him? There's nothing wrong with him. It feels so good in the morning to have that kind of sleep. The difference for me between seven hours sleep and eight hours sleep is huge. So maybe there's some of you that can do this, but this whole, I only need four or five hours of sleep, do that for a while, young people. You will pay the price. You'll be paying the price later in so many ways. And once you hit a certain age, and I won't say that what, what that is, you got to have sleep. Fatigue makes cowards of all of us. Many times the most spiritual thing I can do is put myself in bed. Before I read God's word, I just need sleep. I just feel like crying. Everything upsets me. Just, ah, I'm weepy, weepy, weepy. I'm tired. Go to bed. Go to bed. 
You don't need an energy drink. You don't need a monster drink. You need bed. And then you need God's word. So I've had to decide and to get up. I've had, I've told you this, I have to put my alarm clock on the other side of the room, right? I don't think that's just me. How stupid to have it right here. Bam. Done with that. We'll sleep five more minutes. Bam. Five more. Bam. Five more. That doesn't work. That doesn't work for me. That's so easy. I'm under the toasty covers. It's just like, it's on the other side of the room. And it just won't quit until I go over there. And then once I get over there, I'm like, well, dang, I'm up now. I might as well stay up. I've hit the cold floor. I'm halfway to the bathroom. Go on, big guy. Just keep going, big guy. Yes, you're halfway. Right? It's a fight. It is a fight to get up. And then I had to think through, okay, how long does it take me to shave? I've got my little clothes already laid out on the bathroom floor. Socks, shoes, underwear, belt, shirt. So I don't have to think. I don't think well in the morning. My clothes are there. How long does it take me to shave? How long does it take me to eat? When we had younger kids, how long, how long do I want to spend with them, reading with them the Bible? If I got to pack a lunch, and then I add the time that it's going to take me to read the Bible. And that's how I figure out what time to set my alarm clock. Some of you have just never even spent that much time thinking it through. And you keep expecting something to change and you to live differently. You won't. You've got to think it through and make a choice. It's your choice. Pick a time. If you want it to be the lunch hour, great. But I find that once I'm into my day with phone messages and emails and problems and, and meetings and all of a sudden just stop. You say, while I eat this sandwich, I'm just going to reflect on God's word. No, I'm not. My eyes are going to move across words while my mind still races with what I was just working on and what I have to keep working on as soon as I'm done with this lunch hour. That doesn't work well for me. And at night, the same way. I'm just, I'm just mush. So could I read my Bible at night? yes. If reading means move your eyes across some words and say you read the Bible. I don't want that. I want to get something out of it. So I get up like today and I grind really good beans, coffee beans. And I do a pour over and I make some really good coffee. And I had to allow time for that. And then I sit in my chair sipping liquid grace and reading God's grace. Sweet. If you're not into coffee, just subtract that and you just bought yourself some more time. But whatever works for you, you're going to have to make a plan and get up. Pick a time and stay with it. Stay with it. Stay with it. You're more likely to do it if it's not bouncing around. But sometimes I do it in the morning, sometimes at lunch, sometimes at night. You know what that usually turns into? Mostly not at all. Someone say, ow. Yeah. Pick a time and then stick with it. Stick with it. Stick with it. And this is not legalism. This might, this might shock some of you, but it's going to encourage others of you. I miss days. Suck in your breath. Oh, yeah. I miss days. It's my intent to not miss any days. But this is not legalism. So the days that I miss and I don't read my Bible, it's not like, oh, I'm going to have a wreck on the interstate. Terrible things are going to happen. Because I didn't read my Bible. Some of you know that's not true because you never read yours and he takes care of you, right? Hasn't God been good to you, you interstate driver, non-Bible reader? Mercy of God all over you. But the truth of the matter is this. It is not a merit system where I read my Bible. It's like, God, God, look at me, read my Bible, bless me all over real good, keep me safe on the interstate. Everything I want to go my way is gonna go my way because I read my Bible. Folks, some really good news. My standing before God and my relationship to God and the way he sees me and relates to me is based on Jesus Christ and his finished work. <sighs> now, so why do I read my Bible? Because it's food for my soul. And even though his finished work never changes and my standing before God never changes, my thinking can really go south and foul. And I can struggle all the way through a day not responding how I should respond because I don't have God's truth. Does lack of Bible reading affect me? Oh, yes. Does it change my eternal standing before God? No. But I don't want to limp my way from here to eternity or whenever God takes me home for lack of truth, for lack of realignment, for lack of reorientation. It's food for my soul. I got to have it. Pick a time and be consistent and stay with it.
Number two, choose a good Bible translation that balances literal and readable. So there's some Bible translations that are very literal, but they're just kind of stiff and wooden, and they don't read well. There's other Bible translations that are very readable, but they're a little more loose. I like to find something in the middle. So the Bible was originally written in Greek, or Hebrew for the Old Testament and Greek for the New Testament. And so people, teams of translators have sat down and they look at the original text and they translate it into English for us. And we live in a country where there's so many versions to choose from. So there's not a right answer on this. There's many good choices you could make. But let me suggest my top favorites. The NIV, New International Version, is an excellent translation. That's probably the most read, most published and sold Bible of all. NIV, good choice. Not my choice, but good choice. The New King James Bible, New King James Bible, great translation, and that is my choice. But I'll tell you why, to make sure you, I'm not saying that's the best one, I'm 51 is what I know, all right? I've had this very Bible for 30 years, since 1983, I was single when I bought this, I had hair, so I know this, it just sounds right to me, so if you're here, and you're older, and you grew up with old King James, Don't be ashamed. That, for you, is just right. It sounds right. You're comfortable with it. You know it. No shame. But if you're young and you're starting over, I doubt the 1611 King James Old Version is going to resonate with you. And you'll spend so much time trying to figure out what it says because you don't understand it that you can't even apply it to your life. I don't want to spend a half hour figuring out what lasciviousness is. I just want to know what it's saying to me so I can pray and put it into practice. So probably for you, pick something else. NIV... New King James. I mean, remember when I announced like three or four years ago, right before Christmas, we're going to the ESV. And all of you bought it for each other for Christmas, and I hope you're enjoying that, because I had to go back to the New King James. I tried for like four weeks, and it just did it wasn't right. When I got ready to read Luke 2 at Christmas, like they had switched words around. I was like, can't do this. Sorry, I'm old, can't do it. So here I am with my New King James. NIV, New King James, ESV is a great translation. People like John Piper and Kevin DeYoung and others have put their weight behind it and said, this is great. If you're new to the Bible and you're just getting started, that is a great translation, the ESV. Let me tell you another one. I don't want it to be my only Bible, but new living. Not the living, that's a paraphrase, and it's so loose that, I mean, I want to know what the Bible says. New living is a translation. It's not a paraphrase, it's a translation, and I love it. I have used that with the kids. If you're raising young kids, it is so readable. That's the version I've kept in a cabinet in the kitchen for the kitchen table at breakfast to read aloud all these years. I'm down to one daughter who's 15 years old now. She's the only one in our home now. I still read it aloud while we're eating breakfast and she fixes her lunch. It is great. New living. It's a translation. That's the, the other Bible that I keep open on my desk as I do sermon preparation. Because, man, especially for the Old Testament and Proverbs, it's like... I know exactly what it's saying. If you want a paraphrase, and I don't want you to have a paraphrase as your main Bible. Here's the difference. A translation is where the translators looked at the original text and sought to translate the verses word for word. A paraphrase is where they looked at the original text and they seek to translate thoughts, ideas, phrases. So it's looser. My favorite paraphrase is The Message by Eugene Peterson. That should not be your only Bible. But I tell you what it can do. It can just freshen things up. One year I decided to read through the message paraphrase in my Bible reading for my quiet time. I loved it. But that shouldn't be your Bible you have in your lap when you come on Sunday. It's not going to make sense when I say, oh, look at verse 8 in Romans 5 and look at that word. That word probably won't even be there. But it can shake things up and freshen things up. Pick a good translation. I'll tell you another good translation. New American Standard. My wife loves it. She's used it for 30 years. If you want a literal Bible translation, the most literal English Bible translation is the New American Standard. It's marvelous if you want literal, but it's a little wooden. It's a little stiff. It doesn't read as well, but if you want to know what does, what did the Greek really say, it's great. Vicky kids me all the time when I get home after preaching sometimes when I'll say, now, right there in the Greek, that word literally says... When I get home, she'll say, that's what my Bible says already, big guy. New American Standard says it. You know, like, like when I was preaching two weeks ago from John 1.18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who's in the bosom of the Father, he has, and I said in the Greek, it's 
the word exegesis, exegeomai. And some translation said he has made him known. I said the word exegeomai means to exegete, to explain, to apply. The New American Standard says he has explained him. It's the most literal. So all those would be a good choice. Pick one and don't bounce around. Stick with a Bible and wear it out. Mark it up. Get to know where things are. All right? So pick a time and be consistent. Be consistent. And let me say this too. As we start a new year, here's what so often happens. You'll Maybe, I hope, we'll go out of here and say, oh, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do it. And you jump in with both feet. I'm going to read 45 minutes to an hour. And you do it for like 10 days, two weeks, maybe three weeks, and then you're done. Don't do that. It would be, ready to, it would be better to read your Bible five minutes a day this entire next year than to do 45 minutes to an hour for three weeks and be done. All right? It's the steady intake. Did you hear me say five minutes a day for the rest of your life is enough? But would you be ahead of the person that's not reading their Bible at all? Yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. And I hope that steady intake would whet your appetite and you'd start to want more. You'd start to want more. And you set your alarm clock a little. Start small. Start doable. Have some success and some victories and make it a habit, okay? So pick a time, be consistent. Pick a good translation that balances literal and readable. Number three, take advantage of study tools. You guys, we live in a land and a day where, yes, technology can do some horrible, awful things, but technology can also do some great things. You have access to Bible study resources like never before, and tons of it is free online. You have no excuse for reading past a verse or a passage and saying, I have no idea what that's talking about. Look it up. Look it up. Take advantage of Bible study resources and tools and own a few. Like if you're going to read your Bible and make it a habit, you ought to have at least one good commentary. We could look something up and say, all right, what does that verse mean? Now I'm a little confused. We have in the resource center a commentary that I like. It's big because it's the whole Bible. It's commenting on the whole Bible. William McDonald, the Believer's Bible Commentary. If you were just going to have one commentary, get it. The good news on him is very often when you go to commentary sometimes, it's like, oh, great. The very verse that is so weird that I don't understand, they skip. And they talk about all the ones that I didn't need help on. I understood that. I could have written this. He doesn't do that. He talks about the hard verses. So let me give you a great, another great commentary series for the Gospels that my wife loves. She, I mean, she has used this for years until my paperback copies, the portions are falling out because the spine has fallen apart. And she found this year online with Kindle the whole commentary set for $1.50. I paid $80 for the paperbacks. It's J.C. Ryle, R-Y-L-E. J.C., those are initials. I don't know what they stand for. Probably Jeremiah, Claudius, something. I don't know. (laughs) J.C. Ryle on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can get all four right now on Kindle for $1.50. So she reads her Bible on her Kindle, and she's got J.C. Ryle right there. Oh, my goodness. She's like, oh, I love J.C. I love J.C. I mean, I would be threatened. My manhood would be threatened if it were not for the fact that he looks like a smurf and has a beard down to his belly. And then to top it off, he's dead. So, no threat to me. He's dead. But she loves him. She's like, oh, it is so good. All right? So, J.C. Ryle's commentaries for $1.50 if you want to read the Gospels this year and see Jesus. Take advantage of study tools and resources. If you want a Bible software, all right? All kinds of stuff out there and companies have come and gone and people have gone out of business. I'll tell you the leader, the one that has become it. And I don't think they're going to go away anytime soon. Logos. L-O-G-O-S. That is the best. Best, 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 best. Amazing Bible study software. And they've got it available in levels. So you can buy the home version that's pretty cheap. Then you can buy the student version that's a little more. Then you can buy the pastor's version that's even more. Then you can buy the scholar's version. Then you've got scholar gold, scholar platinum, scholar diamond. And all they're doing is giving you more books, more commentaries, more lang- of the original languages and stuff like that. But man, when you start using a Bible software where you can have the Bible open in one box and you click a word and it gives you the original word in the, in the Greek and gives an explanation. Then you click also and it opens commentaries and shows you phenomenal. 
If you want to read your Bible and look some things up and get something out, consider getting some Bible studies. The nice thing about Logos, when you buy it, they give you permission to have it on more than one computer. So if your husband and wife, husband can have it on his, you can have it on yours, and they don't charge you twice. You can do that with one copy, Logos. Let me suggest another resource that we have in the resource center. Another way to get more out of your Bible reading is if you are oriented somewhat to the book you're about to read. See, the Bible consists of 66 books. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. If you were oriented to who's writing this, who are they writing to, when was it written, what's the context, what was going on, what's the big theme in this book, what are some of the key words in this book, that's what this does. How to Read Your Bible Book by Book by Gordon Fee. This is very readable, very on a layman's level. This is not scholarly, this is excellent. If you were to just sit down and say, well, I'm going to read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John first this year. Well, I'm going to read what he says about Mark before I read it. And you would learn, uh, or I'm going to read Matthew, what he says about Matthew before I read it. Oh, you'd learn Matthew was written mainly to the Jews. That's why there's so many lists of genealogies. You just get a few insights to what's going on before you jump into the book. And I guarantee you, you'll get more out of it. You jump in to read the book of Esther, and it's nice to know when in history was this happening? What other books of the Bible were happening at the same time of this? Who was king? What was going on with, with the nations at that time? Great. Gordon Fee, How to Read Your Bible, book by book. And we have this in the Resource Center. Take advantage of Bible study tools. Number four, read all the Bible. At some point in your life, sooner rather than later, read all the Bible. God gave us all of this. There's a reason for all of it. But now look at me a minute. All right? I just said that. And I believe it and I mean it. But I have a caveat and an exception clause. If you're here and you're new to the Bible, if you're here and you're a new Christian, if you're here and you're not even a Christian or you're not sure and you're just kind of checking it out, don't read all the Bible. Don't start in Genesis, get all fired up here today and say, I'm going to do it. Start in Genesis 1-1 because you're going to hit Leviticus, Numbers, and it'll be like every day. It's like, that's it? That's all I get? Red heifer, kidney, liver? Like, oh, I can't do this. Not the best way to go about it. If you're here and you're a new Christian, new to the Bible, maybe not a Christian, do this. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to see Jesus. This book is about Jesus. The Old Testament is a big finger pointing forward. Those 39 books largely are a big finger pointing forward saying he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. The 27 books in the New Testament really are two hands saying he came, he's coming again. He came. He's coming again. That's the big picture right there. I just summarized the whole Bible for you. You're welcome. But if you're new, you want to see Jesus first. Come to know Jesus. See who he was. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the Gospels to see Jesus. Read the Psalms to learn how to worship. Read Proverbs to get wisdom. That would be my diet for you. That would be my suggestion to you. I'm a new Christian. I'm new to the Bible. Or I'm not even sure I'm a Christian. Or I know I'm not a Christian. Read the Gospels and see Jesus. Read the Psalms and learn how to worship. Read Proverbs and get wisdom. Okay? But if you've been in the church a while, you've been rumbling around in your Bible a while, just jumping around, reading different books, and you've never read it all, do that this year. Read it all. And I don't need to print up reading plans for you and put them in the resource center. Like I said, the internet, you can find all kinds of Bible reading plans that will get you through the Bible in a year or will get you through the Bible in two years. Remember, the goal is not speed. The goal is get something out of it. So for you, if the amount you would have to read to get through the Bible in a year is just too much, no shame. Make it two years. My wife takes the same Bible that I use, John MacArthur's Daily Bible, Through the Bible in a Year, and she uses it to go through the Bible in two years. That doesn't make me better than her. I don't rub her nose in it and say, hey, you two-year Bible person. Whatever. But read all of it. Find a Bible reading plan. And here's my suggestion. Some of you can do this, but most people, the best way to read through the Bible is not. Start in Genesis 1-1. And read all the way to Revelation 22 and just put a bookmark where you leave off each day. Because what's going to happen is there's 39 books of the Old Testament. You're going to be in the Old Testament for over a half a year before you ever hit New Testament stuff. My favorite way to do this is a Bible reading plan that gives you a little bit. 
from the old, a little bit from the new, and a little bit from Psalms and Proverbs every day. What a nice diet. That's what this Bible does. You can buy Bibles that are already set up that tell you every day what to read. I've used this Bible by John MacArthur, Daily Reading Bible through the year, for eight years now. Eight years. And I love it. So today, December 28th, I'm almost done with reading through the Bible again this year for the eighth time. Today, I read Zechariah. That's where I was in the Old Testament, because we're almost done. I read Psalm 147, because we're almost done. I read Proverbs 30, two verses from it, and I read Revelation 15. See, I'm almost done, but it took me a little bit of Old Testament each day. It gave me a little bit of a psalm each day. It gave me one or two verses of Proverbs each day. It gave me some of the New Testament each day. I love it. Look, because here's my deal on Proverbs. I hear people say, I'm not saying you can't do this, but you hear people say, oh, Proverbs has 31 chapters. Most months have 31 days. Read a chapter of Proverbs a day to get wisdom. A chapter of Proverbs a day for me is how to get overwhelmed. In one chapter of Proverbs, it's like he's talking about a mouth. He's talking about sexual sin. He's talking about pride. He's talking about lack of self-control. It's way too much for me to think about and get. I love the way this is set up where it gives me one or two verses from Proverbs. And when I read, a man without self-control is like a city with its walls broken down. That's it for today from Proverbs. And I can just think. How am I doing? Do I have self-control? If I don't have self-control, I'm like a city that's vulnerable to attack from all kinds of enemies. I'm vulnerable to Satan. I'm vulnerable, more vulnerable to things on TV, billboards, people that are dressed immodest. I'm more vulnerable to everything. God, give me self-control. Help me. Where do I need to shore things up? I can think about that one issue rather than, oh, man, it said something about my mouth. It said something about pride. It said something about jealousy. It said something about, I can't think about all that. Because, again, the goal is I want it to change me. So I love, and we have this in the resource center. Or we did after the first service, they may be gone. But you can get it online. So find yourself a plan and make it your goal to read at some point in your life all the Bible. But if you're new to the Bible, new Christian or not a Christian, do I want you to read all the Bible this year? No. See Jesus, learn to worship, get wisdom. You say, Brad, why should I read all the Bible? Old Testament is harder. It's a lot of nations that some of them don't exist anymore. Israel does, but some of them aren't even called the same thing. And nations, borderlines are drawn differently. There's a lot of stuff going on that doesn't happen today. Listen to me. Here's one of the biggest reasons to read the Old Testament at some point in your life. And then get in the habit of consistently reading all the Bible. The Old Testament informs, empowers, and illustrates the new. If you're not reading the Old Testament... A lot of the New Testament just falls flat on you. It just won't pop. Let me give you an example. Often we'll, you know, you'll hear comments, even from me, about Leviticus, right? Hard book to read. It doesn't grip you immediately. It's like, okay, red heifer and skin here, kidney there, liver there. Take it outside the city. Do this, do that. Listen to me. If you're reading Leviticus... And you read through the burnt offerings and the trespass offerings and the sin offering and the day of atonement and all these different offerings that they had to do to be right with God in detail. And they had to repeat them over and over and over and over under that old covenant of being right with God and having their sins covered and having earthly male men high priests that died and had to be changed. And when you read that and then you get to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament and you start to see oh my goodness there's one high priest now that lives forever there's one sacrifice and that's why Hebrews uses the word better 13 times we have a better sacrifice a better high priest a better mediator a better covenant a better promise a better country we're looking for it's better 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 if you haven't read Leviticus you're like better than what I love the book of Hebrews But it's because I understand and I've read what they're having to go through under the old covenant. And you say, wow. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Hebrews 7. Turn there with me. Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 22. Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 22. Listen to this. Hebrews 7, verse 22, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing, but he, because he continues how long? Forever. 
has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he ever lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's For this he did, how many times? Once. For who? For all. Once for all when he offered up himself. When you read that and you've read your Old Testament, you say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. That's what I have. That's what you've given me. I have a high priest that lives forever. I have a high priest that never sleeps, that is interceding for me. I have a high priest that did for me what I could never do for myself. We don't come today bringing sacrifices. Did you notice that? We're not bringing any grain, bringing any wine, bringing any lamb, bringing any dove. Why? Because our great high priest, the Lamb of God, did it once for all and said from the cross, it is finished we come to celebrate what we have and have been given not to offer sacrifices to try to achieve anything new day glorious day but it's more glorious and it grips you when you're reading your old testament so much of the old testament think about this it's long because so much of it is narrative with people and places and cities and struggles, and victories, and defeats, and joys, and sorrows, because God knows something about us. The Bible could be a lot shorter if the Old Testament, like the New Testament, was didactic. So the New Testament is largely didactic. It just gets right to the point. It's teaching. Don't do this. Do that. Do more of this. Not so much that. Here's what I need you to know. Know this. Know this. Know this. Understand this. Whereas the Old Testament, it's narrative, and it's a story of people, men, and women, what Because God knows that we have a tendency to think, yeah, but. You hear all this didactic instruction and teaching. Yeah, but I'm different. I can't do that. That doesn't work for me. Well, he gives us all these characters. Real people who lived in real cities, real places, with real struggles and real joys just like ours. Example. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trial which is to try you as though something strange is happening. You're going to suffer. James 1, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. John, with Jesus speaking, in this life you will have trouble. Tons of New Testament verses that just tell you, you're going to suffer, you're going to go through trials, there'll be a trouble, expect it. Old Testament gives us real examples where you can see people And track with them and walk with them through it. The book of Job. 42 chapters that illustrate what James 1, 1 Peter 4, John and other places are telling us. So that you can say, oh wow. And and here's the interesting thing. The book of Job gives us suffering when it seems inexplicable and undeserved. Is that not the hardest kind? Is there not somebody in this room, I bet lots, who feel like, yeah, I've suffered, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense why this has happened, and it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. Welcome, Job. You're not the first to have thought these thoughts, to have felt this, to experience this. And here's the really good news. I'm so glad Job is not one chapter long. So when all the calamity hits, he loses all his kids, he loses all his business, he loses his health. Tears his robe, falls to the ground, and worships. And says, the Lord gave, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If that's all there was, you'd just say, oh, dear me. Yay, Job. But that's not me. There's 41 more chapters where he doesn't do as well as day one. Isn't that how it is? Sometimes it's that the trial and the suffering just goes on. And you start off well, you know the truth, you say the truth, you embrace the truth, but then you have good days and bad days and you really struggle. And there's points in Job where he says, God, this doesn't seem right. God, I'm calling you to give account. If you would just show up for five minutes and I could plead my case, you would know that I'm right and you're wrong. And God didn't smite him. That's very encouraging. 
We got examples of people that are gritty, earthy, good days, bad days to eliminate that lie that Satan tries to tell us. Yeah, there's all this instruction in the New Testament, but it doesn't work for you because you're different. You're in a different circumstance, different situation. It doesn't apply to you. You read your Old Testament, you'll see people just like you. It gives you hope. You've got New Testament instruction like in 1 Timothy 6 where it says, Oh, don't love money. Don't love riches for the love of money. Not money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. He says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. All you got to do is watch some of the silly TV shows about people who are stealing money from everybody. How do they do that? Because people want to get money fast. And they keep believing there's a way. And so that's why they'll believe the lie one more time with some pyramid scheme that says you're going to get 48% return in three months. Run! Why do people answer emails? Hello, I'm in Nigeria. All I need is your bank account number, your social security. I have a million dollars and I'm looking to invest it. Are you kidding me? And people respond and give the information. Why? Love of money. Love of money makes you stupid. (laughs) Want to see it played out? Ecclesiastes. So there's the warning in Timothy. Want to see it played out in life? You read Ecclesiastes where Solomon admits, everything I wanted, I took. Anything I desired, I got it. I had everything I wanted. I, I gave myself over to every pleasure and all that money could buy. And then what's the phrase that's repeated all through that Old Testament book? Vanity of vanities. All is vain. It didn't satisfy. You watch a life of ruin played out. The Old Testament illustrates the New Testament and gives power and punch to it. Look for an opportunity at some point in your life to read all the Bible, old and new. But if you're new to the Bible, new Christian, maybe not a Christian, see Jesus, learn to worship, get wisdom. Gospels, Psalms, Proverbs. Number five, read your Bible with all the right expectations in place. It's interesting, when you come to a book, you need to know what you should be expecting, right? So if you pick up a Jane Eyre novel, don't expect massive battle scenes, epic battle scenes. Like, when is something going to blow up? Not at all. Lots of conversation, lots of tea parties, lots of dinner dances. You've got to come with the right expectations. Same thing with the Bible. Read with the right expectations in place. Let me show you what some of those expectations ought to be. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all God's word. It's all inspired. And it's profitable for. So what's it good for? What should I expect this to do for me? It's profitable for doctrine. In other words, it's going to teach you some stuff. There's some stuff you need to know. It'll teach you things you need to know. It's good for doctrine. It's good for reproof. There ought to be times, if you're reading your Bible right, with the right attitude, expecting God to work in your life, that it knocks you down. It hits you right between the eyes, and you realize, oh, he's saying this, and I'm not that. I don't do that. I, I need help. I am in a bad way. Reproof. It's good for doctrine. Teaches you. It's good for reproof. It knocks you down some days. Correction. It'll stand you up. There's places in God's word where it'll stand you up and turn you and say, not that way. This way, this way, doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. One of my favorite things that I love about this and why you read it, read it, read it. Don't say, well, I read it. You read it, you keep reading it. It's because as you read God's word, one of the expectations is that it will start to train you and form habits in you. But here's the good news, folks. You actually start, you'll never be perfect, you actually start to think like God thinks on some things. You actually form new habits on certain things as you read God's word, read God's word, and it renews your mind, it changes your mind, it shapes your thinking, it begins to gradually, over time, like water across a rock. It just keeps shaping 
and trains you in righteousness. This, my friend, is like a personal trainer for free. People pay big bucks for this. I'm gonna get a personal trainer this year. Tell me how to eat, make me exercise, stand there at the gym in a black outfit, say, do another one, three more, come on. We pay people to do that. This will train you in righteousness. I'll tell you the personal trainer that God's given us. If you're here and you're a Christian, you got the Holy Spirit. But here's the deal with some of you. The Holy Spirit in some of you is starving, saying, give me something to work with. The Discovery Channel, rebuilding hot rods, motorcycles, trips in Europe, all this stuff you're watching, blogs, games, Angry Bird, trivia crack. I need something else to work with. Guess what he wants to work with? This right here. The Holy Spirit doesn't just in a vacuum make you more like Jesus. Change the way you treat your wife. Change the way you parent. Change the way you handle your money. Change the way you respond to that boss that you can't stand. He uses God's word. But you got to be reading it. Holy Spirit uses God's word. So as you read it, he can train you in righteousness. He can reprove you. He can correct you. He can teach you. But give him something to work with. You read God's word. Have the right expectations. Number six, read looking for big themes. Themes. I didn't say things. Read looking for big themes because there's some big themes in the Bible. And here's what I'm convinced of. As you read your Bible looking, you'll get 30 to 40% more out of it. You're looking for something. It keeps your mind engaged. It keeps you alert. It keeps you from just moving eyes across let me give you a few examples. I'm not saying you have to do this, but here's what I've done. 1986, this very Bible, summer of 1986 with a full head of hair. I read all the way through this Bible with a yellow highlighter marking every reference to the sovereignty of God. That God is sovereign and in control of everything. Changed my life. I've never been the same. I was looking for a theme about four or five years ago, I read all the way through a different Bible. I got a New American Standard, brand new one, because I wanted it clean, not to see any of my other markings, and just read it with an orange highlighter. And I was looking for every reference to pride, arrogant, high-minded, haughty, lofty. Those are all synonyms for the same horrible thing. And what I had picked up on after all these years of Bible reading is, wow, God hates pride. I saw Nebuchadnezzar taken down and ate grass like an ox for seven years you just see all these examples of people that God just takes them down and then there's James 4 6 that says God gives grace to the humble but he resists the proud I'm like man whoo I want to finish well so I want to see everything he says about pride so I read looking marking in orange and now for the last two years I've read my bible with a hot pink highlighter circling every reference of God over the nations. God in control of rulers. God in control of who has power and who doesn't. It's God, it's God, it's God, it's God, it's God. And you say, Brad, why were you doing that? I, I don't know about you, but I haven't been super happy about the way things have been going. Who's in control, laws that are being passed, all that's going on in the world, it's very unsettling to me. I don't know about you. Those are some of my dark thoughts when I wake up. Like, what kind of world are my kids going to be in when they start having babies? What is this going to be like? What is going on? This is scary. Tell you what's helped me. A hot pink highlighter in my hand, circling and knowing, you know what? Nebuchadnezzar was horrible. Cyrus wasn't godly. Darius wasn't godly. None of the Roman emperors were godly. We're not the first Christians to live in a very pagan, secular, godless day. In fact, many of those days where there was greater persecution than what we have yet. And God can, can tells us for sure he was absolutely in control. I love, I've got places high, hot pink highlighted that say, when he says Nebuchadnezzar is about to come and do this, and then what God describes is horrible. And he says, but Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. Then he says, oh, yeah, Babylon did all that, Nebuchadnezzar. Now Egypt is coming, is going to whoop up on with them. But then I'm going to take Egypt down. This is God talking. Where do you get all this, Brad? Old Testament. When you read it, you see these places, and I love it. He talks in Ezekiel 29. He talks about what he's about to do in taking Egypt down. And then he says, I'm going to do this because even though they did what they did and it served my purposes, they did it with evil intent, and they worked for me. That's the exact phrase in my New King James. They worked for me. 
They worked for me. Nobody is out there doing what they want while our God says, oh my goodness, I don't know how I'm going to accomplish my purposes now. That shouldn't have happened. That couldn't happen. I didn't want that to happen. Now don't hear me saying there's not horrible things happening. Don't hear me saying North Korea is not a terrible place. Can I explain to you how in the world that North Korean leader doing what he does or China or whatever is accomplishing God's purposes? I can't. But I don't have to. I see God's word say, nobody is in power in North Korea doing anything outside of God's sovereign purposes and plans. Nobody's in China doing anything. Nobody's in the White House doing anything. Nobody's anywhere in the world, in any nation, in any position of power, apart from God's sovereign purposes and plans. That'll help you sleep good. But I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it with a hot pink highlighter. So read looking for big themes. Number seven, and it's similar. Read with your mind in gear and your hand in motion. Read with your mind in gear. Literally, you have just looked at right here my massive Bible study tools. Here they are. And I have a rubber band around these. I have a red pencil, orange highlighter, yellow highlighter, hot pink highlighter. I'm old school, all right? So I have a paper Bible but I read with things in my hand. I want to make connections. Where was that said already? Oh, he's repeated that three times. Psalm 42 and 43. Why so downcast all my soul? He repeats it exactly three times. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. And I take my red pencil and I draw a line from the first time he said it to the second time he said it, the third time he said it. Excites me. It's like, it's good. You're making connections. You're looking for patterns. I've gone through the book of Hebrews with an orange highlighter and I've highlighted every time he says better, 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 better covenant, better high priest, better mediator, better sacrifice, better, better promises, better. I read with my mind in gear and my hand in motion and listen to me, you will get more out of it. Now, if you're here and you're super cool, techno savvy with your little electronic device, that's fine. I'm not here to mock you. But I will say, don't just read the Bible scrolling on your little screen there. If you're going to read it on an electronic device, then be savvy enough to learn the app tools and mark stuff, highlight stuff. I've been told that boxes can pop open and you can even type notes there. Do that as you read. Either use your app tools on an electronic device or read with old-fashioned markers and pens in your hand. Mind in gear, hand in motion. And you will get more. I sat, I sat on a plane next to somebody that looked scary to me. It was one of those interesting situations. I was sitting at the gate waiting to get on the plane. I'm working on my laptop, catching up on stuff. I just happened to glance up. I saw this guy on the other side of the seated area with frizzy hair like, you know, looked like Howard Stern. Just, and he had some funky Japanese robe with colors and then rings on every finger. And it was just this odd thought that popped, my, popped in my head. I thought, wouldn't that be funny if we sat next to each other? And then I forgot all about him and kept working. And then they called for me to get on my plane. And I get on and I'm, I'm moving down the aisle with my little bag of stuff. And, and I'm getting closer and closer. I see this fuzzy head towards the back. And I'm getting closer and closer. I thought, I think we're going to sit together. Sure enough, sat right down next to him. And he had some little journal with a Buddha on the front of it. And he's making little cryptic notes. And I'm kind of glancing over thinking, what is he doing? And, and then I said, hey, what you doing? And uh, <laughs> took the direct approach. And he said, oh, I'm writing a song. I'm a bass player in a rock band. He's like 41 years old. And so we start talking. And I start talking about Jesus and God things and spiritual things and Bible things. And he says to me, I read the Bible. I said, you do. He must have thought I didn't really, wasn't buying it. Uh, and he, he said, yeah. He unbuckles and he reaches up in the overhead bin and comes down with a through the Bible in a year recovery Bible. He says, I've been reading this all this year. And he said what I want you to hear. He said, I, I read what you're supposed to read for that day three times. I read it. Then I read it slowly again. And then I read it and I mark some things. His goal was to get something out of it, not just say he read it. Now, that was very interesting. I said, what possessed you to begin to read the Bible? He said, I just had an overwhelming sense that I must read the Bible. God does that kind of stuff. Some of you here are neglecting the most powerful, most important, life-changing book that exists. Pick a time. Be consistent. Pick a good translation that's readable and it's literal. 
Use some of the Bible study tools. Read with your mind in gear and your hand in motion. Look for big themes. And then quickly let me add, read being ready to respond in all the right ways. And here's what I mean by that. The Bible is filled with largely two different kinds of passages. Indicatives and imperatives. Indicatives are simply statements. There's nothing you need to do about it. He's just telling you something. That's an indicative. Imperative is when it says, do this, command. You need to do this. The Bible's got both. And both serve a tremendous purpose. The, for the indicatives, like why are they there? Why would we have all these indicatives? Because we forget what God has done. Because you wake up with stinking, fearful, anxious, oh, thinking. And you've got to be reminded, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what he says, this is what he says, this is what he says. I don't have to do anything about it. I just need to know it. For instance, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Those three chapters are packed with indicatives. There's nothing you need to do. It's just... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he's made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. Oh, What do you do? All, all you do there is you just throw up your hands. And you praise God and you say, thank you, God, on my worst day. That's who I am. That's what you've done for me. Indicatives. But that same book in chapter 4 turns and says, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And then he goes on with things like put off, put on, renewing your mind, stop this, start this, do this, be careful. And then he finishes up in Ephesians 6 with what sounds like marching orders for sure. Put on the full up, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on. So something you got to do. Put on the full armor of God so that in the day of evil you'll be able to stand against the devil's schemes. Put on. Stand therefore. And after you've done everything, stand. He says it about five times. I've marked all those. Pattern, repetition, hand in motion. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the gospel of peace above all this take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and having done all this pray always in the spirit now there's a bunch of stuff to do right so there's indicatives and there's imperatives and we need both both. You can't let go of the indicatives or your life just starts to boil down in one big do, do, do. And it can get very legalistic and joyless. But life as a Christian is not also just one big indicative. Oh, there's nothing I have to do. It's all what God has done. Because of what God has done, I can do what he tells me to do. So get this. A healthy Christian learns to balance resting and wrestling. You rest in the indicatives and glory in them. You wrestle with the imperatives and seek to obey God and live it out. Both. Both. If you'll read all your Bible, you'll get a steady, balanced dose of both. And lastly, you need to learn to stop gulping your food and to start chewing it slowly and savoring it. I'm talking about Bible reading. And the way you do that is memorization and meditation. Got a lot more I want to say on that, but I'm doing a whole message in the new year on that. But Psalm 1, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is a man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, her delight, is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, she meditates day and night. Then he talks about that person being like the tree planted by the river whose leaves don't wither but stay green even in the worst of times. How do you do that? When you're not gulping gulping God's word you're chewing it slowly and savoring it Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results maybe you're here and you're not happy with how your life's going you can't change circumstances you can't change people there's one thing you could change the intake of God's word that you've been getting that's your choice this year, you want to change something? 
Change how you've neglected this. Step up how you're getting in a position and putting yourself in a place to get God's word into your life. I guarantee you, you will never be the same. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for direct access to your throne. And Lord, thank you for the effect of your word on us over time, over time. Lord, I pray that you would change us this year, not because of programs, not because of brochures, not because of pressure on the outside or shame or guilt, but because of the intake of your word from the inside out, feeding and giving the Holy Spirit something to work with, to teach us, to knock us down, to correct us and stand us back up and to train us in righteousness. Change us and make us more like Christ. Use us for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.